comes to riding motorcycles in slow-going technical areas, is being tall an asset? I mean, that long leg that drops the foot down just for a moment to stabilize the bike at that critical juncture. And if one is an advantage, short or tall, how can the other rider even the playing field? Well, today, two top rider trainers on short versus tall. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Chili Adventure Gear, making American-made heavy-duty innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using the strapping system. Um, great systems. Matter of fact, all the stuff they make is super tough. I've tried tons of it myself. The website greenchiliadv.com. That's greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Products is where the number one tire pump in the business for us motorcyclists comes from. It's called the Cycle Pump, made in the USA, has lifetime warranty. They also distribute the Google Tech filters for North America. The website, cyclepump.com. That's Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door. MAXBMW.com. They also have an e-rider newsletter you can sign up to for free. And they've got an online fiche that is fantastic for looking up parts. That's MAXBMW.com. If you're not a tall person, and and when I say tall person, what I really mean is long legs, then you've probably had a time where you've watched a tall rider in some technical or rough stuff. You've watched them drop their leg down to dab a foot or maybe stand up and just stop the bike and stand over the bike. And you think, oh yeah, easy for them. They're tall. But that got me to thinking, is that really true? I mean, are short riders destined to a life of pain and humiliation when it comes to the rough stuff? just because of their height, or or maybe I should say, are long legs an enviable physical trait for riding motorcycles in rough stuff? Particularly adventure bikes, I guess. Because if that's the case, then tall riders, they've won the genetic lottery. They didn't even have to work for it. They have the advantage right off the bat. Not only is it easier for a tall rider to locate their motorcycle in the parking lot when they come out from the mall from shopping, come on, you've done that before too, (laughs) but those long legs give them that leg up, so to speak, pun intended, when learning slow-speed riding skills. Anything goes wrong, they just drop a foot down. Is it really true? Well, I'm going to talk to two riders and trainers, top riders and trainers. One is Pat Jakes from ADV Woman. The other, Jimmy Lewis from Jimmy Lewis Off-Road. I'm going to start with Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy, in his own words, is a... uh, Washed-up motorcycle racer, I guess. (laughs) But in reality, Jimmy's one of the top names in motorcycle training. He's a champion adult mini bike racer. I don't know what that is, but it must be good. <laughs> but he's also won the Baja 1000, the Dubai Winter Rally, the ISDE uh, Silver Vase. Uh, he's been a world champion in that, a four-time international six days enduro gold medalist, 
a Dakar podium finisher, double class winner there, single and, and twin cylinder. He was sponsored by KTM and Honda and BMW and Kawasaki. And on top of that, he was the um, off-road editor for Psycho World Magazine for a number of years and the editor for Dirt Rider Magazine. So you get an idea here why serious riders look up uh, Jimmy Lewis off-road school to improve their skills. As a matter of fact, Jimmy's about ready to teach some Dakar riders navigation skills as they gear up for the Dakar for next month. Uh, Yeah, that's one of my side jobs, I guess. (laughs) So... I've got Ricky Brabeck and Skylar Howes and, uh, and there's a couple other guys that are coming that aren't going this year, but they would like to in the future. So we're just doing a little kind of mock rally training. So these guys are ready when they go. This is pretty, pretty high stress for them, obviously going to the Dakar and they're coming to you to learn what, uh, navigation. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot trickier than you think it would be. And then you're also trying to ride a motorcycle at a high rate of speed. So there's, there's a ton of stuff that goes into it. This is all reading off of a a paper roll. Correct. Um, the, the riders are essentially given a map book, uh, in the morning sometimes before the stage or the day before, um, the stage. And it's a series of instructions, uh, that tells them exactly, you know, almost turn by turn what to do for, you know, whether it's a hundred kilometers or 400 kilometers, 700 kilometers, um, it's a, you know, a thick roll of paper that's scrolled on a, a mechanical rolling device. And then they use that in conjunction with a, we'll call it very limited, uh, GPS. The GPS mostly tells the organization where you went, not, it doesn't tell the rider where to go so much. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, definitely an art form. <laughs> do you feel a pressure right now? Because you're, you're doing this, I think tomorrow, do, do, are you feeling pressured that you've got this kind of a responsibility? Um, I mean, I, I always feel <laughs> a little bit of pressure cause I want to, I, you know, it's, it's, it's even like when I was racing, you know, I want to do a good job for these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like, I, it's, I want to see an American win Dakar. I mean, that's, that's my goal because they've always had the speed and a lot of riders, yeah, they're fast riders and they're not super good navigators. And, um, it's just like one, one extra tool in your toolbox that, uh, can help you, you know, have success. They get out there in January, I guess, early January. Correct. I think it starts on the 5th this year. It's in uh, Saudi Arabia and it's, uh, so it's back close, you know, they're calling it an African Dakar. I guess it's the 30th country that that race has been in. And, uh, yeah, and it's going to be a long one this year. It's, um, I think it was funny because Andrew Short actually posted something. It's almost like riding from Alaska to Florida or even farther is the distance they'll cover. It'll be interesting to see how the whole thing unfolds. Well, tall riders and short riders. We could say tall riders versus short riders, but um, you know, we I want to start off with the tall riders because I think a lot of people will look at a tall rider and how they handle a motorcycle or know what it's like to stand over like a mini bike and and see the control you have over a mini bike or at least the leverage you have over a mini bike. So the question is right off the bat, what do you think? Does a tall rider have an advantage over a short rider riding a motorcycle? I I I kind of don't believe they do because as many things that they have in their advantage, you know, they're, they're, they're taller. So they're, you know, they're larger. They're able to use their, their size to manipulate and, you know, manhandle sometimes the bike and move around on it. Uh, by the same token, um, the bikes aren't necessarily designed for someone that's that tall. And so they tend to sometimes be cramped and they're, they're, you know, in the, in the length that they have, they also become a bigger pendulum, which, helps when it's helping and it hurts 
when things start going wrong, if that makes any sense. Mm, yeah. So it's, it's almost coming into the same thing that a lot of our, our choices come up to is um, it's all, all degrees of uh, compromise. Yeah. Like in other words, and, and if you could make I've, yourself tall one day, short the next, you, you'd pretty much have to do that. You'd be adjusting all the time. Oh yeah, you you would you would definitely do it. I mean, I I, I jokingly say I'm the perfect size for a motorcycle. I'm five ten, and so I fit on motorcycles really good. And we spoke earlier when we talked about bicycles. You know, you can buy bicycles in different frame sizes, and that's really not possible with motorcycles. And I, I kind of know why. It's mostly cost, but also you know if you change the size of the motorcycle because it has, you know, generally a lot of power in an engine, it drastically changes the way that the bike, the characteristics of how it handles. Um, just like, you know, the way that the rider moves on the motorcycle changes the way it handles. So sometimes, you know, sometimes that's where being small, <laughs> you're not going to mess it up as much, you know, because you can't, you know, you can't influence it as much. So uh, there's, I guess it's a two-way street there. Well, and there's no standard as far as the motorcycle industry goes. It's not like they have this mannequin that is the rider, the Jimmy Lewis size. Um, but it doesn't happen to be a model that's saying, this is the size uh, person and we're going to pass this around and everybody make their motorcycles to that. And, and like you said, the frame sizes on, on bicycles, they drastically change from an extra small up to an extra large. I mean, there's a huge range in there. So it changes the standover height. Um, it changes so much with the with the bicycle. And by the way, a lot less money than a motorcycle. Yeah, with a motorcycle, we're stuck with that, that one cookie cutter size. And we don't even know what size it's made for. Yeah, I think, I think they... You know, they're trying to hit the, the target audience, you know, so they're they're going to go with the where are the most people fitting. And unfortunately for them, I mean, the different sizes of people that are riding motorcycles, especially when you start looking at, you know, the Asian countries and then you have the European countries where there's definitely some people that are bigger. And then there's, you know, Americans, which we most of us are a little bit bigger, I guess. And, you know, not only just like size, how tall are you, how, you know, short are you, we're built kind of interesting. I mean, we see it all the time with, you know, you have somebody that has like short legs and a long torso and long arms or long legs and a short torso. And, and so, and that's, that's what's, you know, the, the aftermarket really comes to the rescue for, um, motorcycle riders in reality, because, you know, they make a lot of parts that are, you know, everything from taller seats to foot peg, you know, relocation stuff to, to handlebar clamps, risers, you know, uh, bar bends. And it's pretty amazing how you can, um, manipulate your motorcycle to make it fit you. So you'd almost expect that. I mean, talking, using the, the bicycle as an example, you'd almost expect that if you got a bike, you're going to have to change things. You're going to have to make, well, you're going to have to make adjustments, but you may actually have to change things to fit you. Um, if you're outside of the norm, I would say yes. And, and I joking, I have a joke saying that I say, we, we say it, the adventure rider high bar Kool-Aid because someplace, uh, somehow, Every adventure rider decided that we need higher handlebars on everything. And we, we kind of struggle with this a lot of times. Um, these guys will come to the school and they say, well, I had to get these bar risers. And, you know, they've got three things stacked on top of their clamps, you know, turned upside down. And, and you know, the bar's up really high. And it's like, why? And it's like, well, because I couldn't reach the handlebars. And, you know, when I stand up. And, and then you're like, yeah, but it's making – putting you in a very awkward position because the other thing that's interesting or, you know, we notice with riders is your body is pretty dynamic. And if you know how to position your body properly on the bike, you know, by, by you know, using your ankles can kind of flex a little bit. Your shoulders definitely go up and down quite a bit. You have a lot of range there. I'm learning to pivot at the hips and not at the knees. 
little things like that will, you know, you've got probably, you know, most people have three to five inches of kind of movement with just really small things that are not that uncomfortable, um, you know, as far as, as far as, uh, you know, positioning. That's a really good point uh, about the the body. Um, I mean, same as cars. Cars have some adjustments, and I often say this about it. You know, a car you get in, you move the seat forward and back. You can move the steering column up and down in some cases, but not a whole bunch of adjustments. Um, yeah, we sort of fit into that, and we sort of make our make our way around it. You know, and and I've found things like I mean, I've you know been into paddling since I was young, and I know that I've got paddles that aren't quite the right size but I've adapted with them. So I've just learned to use this paddle in this, in the case I'm thinking of was longer than what it should have been. And I just learned to adapt with it. And after a while, I mean, it was fine. It was a beautiful tool. Yeah. And I, I think motorcycle riders uh, are mostly pretty good at doing that as well. But a lot of times in as much as they can make the motorcycle better with some modifications. And i like I said earlier, I've seen them make it quite a bit worse um, just with setups and especially the shorter, smaller riders, because Everybody wants to touch the ground. And so touching the ground, the first thing you do is lower the seat height. So they're more worried about the seat height to where the ground is than the seat height to the foot peg. And they they get folded up like tent sticks on their motorcycle because their foot pegs are kind of high, you know, for ground mm-hmm. clearance. And their seat's really low. And then they, you know, they're almost in a cruiser position where they get stuck down onto the motorcycle. And they're, you know, they're, they're folded up because they really... I always say, well, where are you riding with your feet on the ground or your feet on the foot pegs? <laughs> so, um, with, you know, should, should, you know, depending on how much time you're going to spend in one position or the other, maybe you should kind of rethink about cutting that seat down. We've talked about that before on this show about um, making modifications from the list that you get on websites. You know, people will tell you, you need to make all these mods to the bike. And often people make those mods without actually understanding or thinking about how they're going to affect the bike, thinking that they're actually improving it. And what they end up with is a, a lesser product really in the end. Yeah. And and the same thing goes with lowering the suspension, which is another common thing, shortening or lowering the suspension. Generally, that makes the bike, you know, a little bit lower and a little bit longer. And it, it does affect the handling and rolling back to why the manufacturers probably don't make different size motorcycles because they'd have to redesign the whole thing to properly, I guess, properly do that. Are there times that you would agree that somebody should get their, their bike lowered? Um, oh yeah, yeah, de- definitely. I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's not a hard and fast rule, but when, you know, when, when that's something that you, you know, really need, you're just, you know, maybe you do have really, really short legs and you're not willing to, you know, chop the seat down to the frame rails, you know, you want some cushion there, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's an option or oftentimes it's just look, maybe a, a different bike. <laughs> There's a, you know, I think people get really stuck on the number of the bike and then, and then they, they're, they're not willing to try something that maybe is actually sized, you know, a little more proper for them. What, what do you mean the number of the bike? Uh, the CCs, the displacement. Oh, I see the displacement of the bike. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. The, the the number of the bike. I, I, we, we tend to have a few people that show up on their on their first new dirt bike, and it might be a BMW twelve hundred. Right. And it's like and that's not that's not a dirt bike. That's an adventure bike. And they're like, oh, I don't I don't want to ride one of those little five hundreds. <laughs> it's like, have you twisted the throttle on a new two fifty lately? <laughs> so, well, well, when do you think pretty impressive? When do you think a, a, a taller rider, or where, and what situations do you think a taller rider has an advantage? Um, I think uh, in in technical stuff where they want to they want to put a foot down, and I always say put a foot down, and the 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 the, the, the 
improper riding technique is to put both feet down, but they feel like they can, but just use that. That generally happens right before a crash, but, but it gives them the opportunity to, to, to more confidently put a foot down. So that'd be more technical riding. And then places where if you really have to put your body you know, move your body around very dynamically to, you know, to lighten the front end or, you know, put the weight back to get traction, um, stuff like that. Cause what they, what they essentially are is they're a bigger pendulum, you know? And so there's a certain amount that you can do with strength, but it all comes down to how much weight you have and how much pendulum effect you can put on the motorcycle. So larger, taller riders, um, tend to have an advantage there. And then that can also be a disadvantage when it's done improperly. And, I often see taller riders getting their legs out, you know, stuck, you know, especially back into panniers. You know, they, they put a foot down and the pannier definitely hits it a lot quicker. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, sometimes it's an advantage and sometimes those te- same techniques and can get them in trouble as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, the, the slow speed. Because if you picture a, a rider that's short standing on a bike that's tall and trying to reach the ground, that their legs tend to be very close to the bike as they stretch their toes down, whereas a tall rider can spread their legs out a bit. And you often see it like with the, you know, the big KTMs and stuff, you'll see a tall rider on them, and they just look so at home sitting on that bike getting ready to run down a, a little track or something. And you can't help but think, man, they've got it made. Yeah, I actually some of the best riders I've seen are very small, you know, compact riders and they're just doing, they're doing everything with balance and finesse as opposed to muscles and needing that thing. For sure. When that bike tips over, I want a big, tall, strong dude to, you know, pick it back up <laughs> as opposed to, as opposed to little old me. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So what about short riders? Is there any advantage to being a short rider? Um, well, when, when you're riding in ruts and stuff like that, when, you know, all of a sudden your short legs aren't getting in the way as much, um, when you're riding through brush or, you know, with low trees and stuff, it's easier to duck, you know, duck down behind. Uh, if it's cold, it's easier to get behind a little small guy can get behind the windscreen. Right. Mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I think, I think, um, I don't know if there's any real, you know, big, advantage, but I don't really think it's that much of a disadvantage until, like I said, you get into really technical stuff where you, you have to start putting a foot down. And then, then instead of just being able to put the foot down, you've got to, you know, put your butt off to the side of the seat and really get your foot down. And like you said, able to, able to get your foot farther out, you know, more to more triangulate where you're, you know, using that dab or whatnot, but Right, easier to hold the bike up, I mean, you know, and, yep. and and same as in those situations we're talking about, like where you're going slow and you run into something. I don't know, you're you, and you have to dab a foot down. Um, if you're dabbing a foot a long way down, you've got to do a hip shift and get over there. Whereas if you got long legs, you just reach out and you can reach farther out too. Correct. Yeah. And but you know, in in a perfect world, as we all dream of, uh, we never put our feet on the ground while of we're course. riding. So yeah, of course. <laughs> let's just let's look at it that way. Do you think there's a point where you become equal though? Where where the like? I mean, if you're if you're standing there with a bunch of other riders and and maybe you're at a group event or something, you see everybody trying to go through a technical spot. Everyone's sweating it as they go. Maybe you wouldn't be okay because of your riding experience. But most of the other riders, they're all sweating it and they're looking around at the taller riders and they're feeling you know maybe a little envious of those long legs. Is there a point where you start to ride where you sort of become equal? Um, I, it, I think it all just comes down to your, you know, your ability level. I, I would say that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, if I saw a group of riders and based on their size, there's no way you can judge who's a better rider just looking at them based on their size. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you know, like in certain situations there might, you know, maybe there is the advantage to being a little bit taller, but 
you know, if, if you've grown up or you started being, you know, tall all the time and you've, if this has been your crutch being able to put your foot down, maybe that's going to be a disadvantage in the long run because that was always something you felt safe doing. And, you know, and you can only put your foot down when you're going so slow, you know, once you're going a certain speed, putting your foot down is just going to cause a catastrophe. And at that point, you know, I don't want my legs to get in my way. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking about, uh, you know, the point where we become equal, because what I'm thinking here is that they, it's only when you're going slow, when you're using your legs to stabilize the bike, which, you know, we, as you said, in a perfect world, we don't want to do. That to me is where the advantage is of having those long legs. Otherwise, man, they can just get in trouble. And you mentioned about the pannier box, you know, about, you know, getting a, a toe caught or something like that and getting it jammed. So it almost seems to me like once you start rolling, is the, you know, the, the field levels out. Yeah. And, and, you know, you start even thinking about smaller stuff, you know, you talked about, you know, the, the feet generally taller riders have much bigger feet and they have a hard time, you know, getting their foot under the shifter, you know, um, <laughs> you know, the brake pedal is, is not where it should be. You know, you, you see lots of different little modifications that people have come up with to address some of the, you know, some of the needs of the different sized sides risers. Same thing with small people. I have really small hands, by the way, I'm not saying anything else about them, but literally tiny hands. So I, I have to, it's, you know, I have to run very small diameter grips and then I also need to make sure the levers are able to kind of come in a little bit closer to the handlebar than, than what would be, you know, standard. So and it's all, there's all kinds of different advantages and disadvantages <laughs> here. It, now, is that an adjustment you can make or are you doing special customization for that? No, it's I generally, I'm, I'm, I'm at the, I'm kind of at the, I call it the shorter limit. So I can usually just adjust the position so that it's, it's closer to my hands. Yeah. And, and then, but you know, when you start talking about like grips, um, a lot of times, you know, some of the like aftermarket heated grips and stuff are a little bit bigger diameter and it's just enough to like bother me. I mean, I can still ride with them, but it's just not that, you know, high level comfort that I like to feel. Mm. Yeah. I really noticed that too. When I have, um, I had, uh, at one point some grips that went over the wraparound grip style and I really yep. didn't like them at first because to me they just, they made it so I couldn't get my hands around the bars or at least that's what it felt like. I did get used to them again, that adapting thing, but they bothered me for quite a while. Yeah. And I'm the same way with, with like large diameter grips. It's, I actually hopped on one of my instructor's bikes who has bigger hands and he had, he had some big heated grips and I had to like, I feel like I had to stretch my fingers out to where his levers were. And it was like, Oh boy, this is, <laughs> you know, I have to, I have to, it's just so distracting. Cause it, you know, it's, and I, I switch off. I ride a lot of different bikes and, and different setups and stuff, but um, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a, there's, it's the little stuff that makes a big difference, you know, collectively. Are there some things though that you do to, um, you mentioned the, the handle bars and, and how you have to adjust the, the grips or, or your levers. Are there some things that you do with the bike to, to fit you some of the taller bikes in particular? So, um, no, I never, I don't really ever shorten or lower bikes. Um, cause I, like I said, I'm probably the right size for most motorcycles, but what's one strange thing that I do do is I run tall seats on my adventure bikes and this freaks everybody out cause I can't touch the ground. Um, but that seat, the foot peg, cause you know, when I'm riding my adventure bike, I'm not really doing that kind of riding where I'm doing dabbing or anything, um, anything too technical. So I run a taller seat because a, it's more comfortable. It's cushy. It's better for the longer ride. And I don't run a dished seat, you know, one that prevents you from sliding back on the seat. Mm -hmm. Cause a lot of times when I'm just kind of touring around, I can kind of sit in like four or five different spots. And over the course of a long day, that makes a big difference in just comfort when everything's going smooth. In in reality, when I'm doing more technical stuff, I'm always stand, standing up. So it doesn't matter 
where the seed is because it's nowhere near my butt at that point. But um, that's one of the strange things that I do. And then the other thing I'm really particular about is foot pegs. And I like foot pegs that are, we'll call them um, wider than stock or longer than stock. So ones that stick out a little bit farther. So it's, it's called like a rally style peg. And um, the reason for that, and also a little bit more aggressive teeth than normal. The reason for that is because I'm putting so much weight and pressure. That's how I'm controlling the bike when I really want to control it. And just being able to get my foot out that extra, you know, 40, 50, you know, millimeters gives me that much more leverage on the bike. You know, so we're talking about, you know, what an advantage a taller rider has. They have, they're a little bit more of a pendulum. They can move around. Mm -hmm. Well, by me being able to get my feet out just that little bit farther, it gives me kind of a little bit more of an advantage down there. Um, You know, so I can, so I can push on it and and, uh, make the bike do stuff. But it's funny because I was riding a bike that did not have wider foot pegs and I was going around a turn just yesterday. And when I started losing traction, I instinctively pushed down really hard in the outside foot peg and there was very little boot on the peg and my foot slipped off. And all of a sudden it was like, Whoa, that was a surprise, you know, (laughs) saved, saved it. But (laughs) it's just, it's just kind of one of those things. It's like, I kind of expect that, you know, I, I use that sort of a thing, but, um, uh, and then, and then kind of down to the handlebars and the handlebars handlebar risers and triple clamps are kind of the ones that, that really seem like it's gotten a little bit out of control with everybody wanting to go higher and higher because what they'll do is they'll put the bike on the center stand or they'll put it on a stand and have the rider sit there and go, okay, stand up. And of course, when the bike's not moving and everything's great and it's all balanced for you, you stand right up like you're supposed to. And then you put your arms down at your handlebars and you go, look, they're three inches too low. You know, well, you think about when you're riding generally, you're, you're accelerating. So you're leaning forward. The wind's pushing on you if you're standing up and all these things. And you actually, you know, you don't actually stand completely straight up. You know, you're kind of leaning into, and if you just simulate, you know, the, where you're actually riding, as opposed to quote, standing straight up, going nowhere, you realize that the handlebars come up to you and they almost start getting almost too close to you. So we see a lot of handlebar risers that are not only put up, but closer towards the rider. And, and then they end up in their lap and they end up kind of, we put them in a strange position where their pelvis gets kind of thrusted forward. So they're almost leaning backwards when they're actually riding because they're trying to not get, they're trying to not to fall over the back of the motorcycle, but the bars are pushing them back there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, you know, but, but properly done, you know, setting up the ergonomics of the bike for a specific rider is, is invaluable. And when you, you know, and I, from coming from the racing background and understanding how race bikes are set up and built, you hear about these factory bikes that are, that are set up perfectly for rider, you know, they're making changes of like things that are two and three millimeters, you know, in the bars, forward, back side, you know, um, um, angle sweep of the bars, uh, stuff like that. Foot peg height is, is huge. You know, they'll move the foot pegs around. I was always really picky about where my foot pegs were on my bike. And uh, even on my BMW rally bike, we moved them farther back and down because I just had so much more control um, of the bike by doing that. I imagine if you're extremely short or extremely tall, then you're going to have to do something right off the bat. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. For, you know, it would be be really tough being the really tall guy. And I've seen those guys, you know, on the motorcycles and and some of them, they they really struggle because they're just really too big. They need the XL model and we don't have one. Right, right. Well, hopefully we've made some shorter riders feel better here. I'm not sure that we did, but hopefully <laughs> we did. But any any closing? I'd, I'd rather be short than tall. 
<laughs> in on on a, on a motorcycle in reality i think if 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 you know given both of the evils of of not being perfect <laughs> so <laughs> that was jimmy lewis from jimmy lewis offroad his website jimmylewisoffroad.com now we're going to take a short break to thank a few companies that helped bring today's episode to you and i've got some good stuff in here to tell you about after the break we've got some tips and insights from pat jakes another x racer and trainer extraordinaire stay with us Probably the most important contact points for you and your motorcycle to join the two together are your foot pegs. Think about it. When you stand up, that's pretty much it. You've got a light held on the handlebars, but your foot pegs are king. IMS Products was founded in 1976. They've been making hard parts ever since. Their IMS logos are everywhere on racetracks. That should tell you about quality. Cast certified 17-4 stainless steel. A certified heat treating, which is a homogenizing and annealing process. Built in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. I don't know how much more you could ask for. The design of these pegs is incredible. Have a look at what they've got, imsproducts.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, email, phone, whatever, make sure you throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, imsproducts.com. Overland Expo is the biggest overland event in North America where thousands of like-minded adventurers gather to talk and learn and exchange information and ideas and to teach others what they've learned on the road, all in three days of intense fun. And I've heard so much great feedback about these shows. They've got a new venue that they added this year. So the first one coming up is May 15 to 17. That's in Arizona. The next one is the new venue. It's called Mountain West, Overland Expo Mountain West. It's in Loveland, Colorado, August 28th to 30th. And then the east one is in Arrington, Virginia in October, 9 to 11th of October. Three days of overland travel immersion, including motorcycle-specific presentations, exhibitors, instruction, skills courses. You can camp at the show. There's just so much going on here. Buy your tickets online because there are none available at the gate. Overlandexpo.com is the website. Click on the show that you're interested in, the date you're interested in. Um, you can also apply to present at the show. That's another way to attend. All available at the website. The website actually is, is very robust. They've added a lot of things in the past year or so um, to their website. Overlandexpo.com. Don't forget to throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. Jakes is a top-notch rider coach. She began riding when she was only eight years old, and it wasn't very long before she got into racing motocross. First, it was the powder puff class, girls, but very quickly, after lapping all the girls many times, she was transferred into the boys' side of racing as they could see the potential, where she frustrated the boys to no end as they chased her dust around the track. Pat is now retired from her successful business in IT and now heads up ADV Woman, an organization she developed to empower women through riding. And when you hear Pat speak and you feel that energy, you'll know why people are attracted to her style. Okay, hold the mic down so it doesn't brush against my face. Yep. And we're talking about short rider tips. Okay. We're talking about short rider tips. So, um, are you good to go now? Yes, I am. Okay. <clears throat> My name is Pat Jakes. I'm from Grand Junction, Colorado, and I am the owner of ADV Woman. I teach adventure and dirt bike lessons. Pat, welcome back. 
Thank you. It's great to great to talk to you, Jim. It's great to talk to you. And you you've been very very busy. I know we just talked a bit about what you've been doing lately. You're retired, but it's um you're obviously busier than what you were when you were working. I think. <laughs> well, I've been having a lot of fun. That's for sure. And, and you're in a you're, you you were telling me about a, a Toyota ad. Can you, can you just tell that just briefly again? Yeah. Well, Toyota has a, a program. Uh, they're starting a movement called Make Up to Mud, where they're supporting women in riding dirt bikes. And I was nominated for and became uh, the Toyota Make Up to Mud athlete for the last Supercross race. And they flew a, um, a video team, a video production team, two videographers and a producer out to Colorado. And we spent two days filming and we rode adventure bikes and we rode my single track bike and put together a pretty impressive piece. And it was aired on national TV and in the, uh, at the Las Vegas supercross race, uh, in the stadium with like 40,000 people there. It's had, um, millions of views online and it was and and on national TV. So it was, it was pretty cool. Very cool. We're going to put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Um, also maybe we'll include the link to your Ted talk because you did a Ted talk. Was that last year? Yes, I did. Yeah, right. it was oh. about um, it, it. It was about finding out that everything about me is in, everything about ourselves is intrinsically right rather than wrong. So we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes as well. Short riders, um, do you consider yourself a short rider? Absolutely. I'm I'm uh, five foot five. I have a uh, and that's on a good day. I have a twenty nine inch inseam. And uh, all my bikes, the seat height on all my bikes is 35 to 36 inches. Ooh, which means basically you can't ride them because you're too short. Uh, I'm not supposed to be able to, but, uh, you know, it's just a matter of knowing the right techniques. Well, and, and that's the and, old adage, isn't it? I mean, you know, it used to be the type of thing you'd sit on something. And if you can touch the ground flat-footed with both feet, then you're okay on the bike. But that's not really the case. Not anymore. Well, I don't allow my students to put both feet down. Um, the fact of the matter is if you're going to ride off-road, whether it's single track or adventure bikes, the bikes are going to have suspension. So they're going to be, be taller. So rather than resist that, uh, let's just accept that and learn how to deal with it. So right off the bat, I will not allow riders to put both feet down. So right away, we're teaching, before we even start the bikes up, we start teaching riders just to put one foot down and to slide their butt way over and so that really only one cheek is on the seat and the whole rest of the leg is standing straight down on the ground, flat footed. I, I don't even want to see anybody tippy toeing or on the balls of their feet. I want that one foot down flat footed. Mm, so like a hip shift, you're, you're sliding right off the side. To- totally. Totally. Well, what's the first thing you say to somebody when they're, when they're coming in and asking you about riding, about being short and, and riding a taller bike? Oh, well, the first thing that I tell them is that it's just a matter of technique and I'm happy to teach them that technique. And we do that in a, in a dead bike drill. I mean, you put, you put the bike in first gear, you do not fire it up. You have spotters on both sides of the bike and you just start learning and developing that muscle memory of shifting side to side and getting your butt off of the seat and getting that foot down flat. And, and the, the next progression from that is, is, uh, picking up a foot and putting it on the peg and then putting a foot back down uh, flat from a seated position. So you kind of pick your foot up and go to a balanced position and then put the foot down. And as you're developing that muscle memory and moving your butt side to side and, and getting your cheek off of the seat, 
then the third step to that is to do that up into a standing position. So we drive straight up into a standing position using our legs. And then from the standing position, we have to get our foot down on the ground. And I, I do this with all riders uh, before we ever start the bikes up. And I'll tell you, Jim, the truth is, is that um, getting to a standing position for a short rider is different than for a tall rider because um, short riders oftentimes try to push with their arms because their legs are short. You know, a, a person with long legs can bend their knee and drive up into a standing position, whereas a person with short legs, there's no bend in the knee. Their leg is straight. Oh, right. Um, so, so they tend to push on their arms, but unfortunately when you push with your arms, then you're pushing on those handlebars and that tends to cause the bike to rock left or right. And therefore it causes the bike to come off of balance. So we really have to teach riders to train their muscle memory to, um, to kind of, uh, I bounce up and down on my, on my, like if I've got my right leg down, uh, I'll bend and bounce up and down a few times just to kind of prime the pump. And then I drive up into a standing position. And then if my left foot is down, then I shift everything over to the left and I'll bounce up and down a couple times, you know, from the knee, bending my knee and then drive up into a standing position just so that I don't use my arms. Are there some tips that you that you give people, or some some ideas that you give people as far as riding gear or the bike itself, to to make it more adapted for a shorter rider? Well, yeah, I mean, any bike that has a twenty one inch front wheel is going to be taller than a motorcycle with a nineteen inch front wheel. So right off the bat, if you're super super short, uh, uh, you're probably going to find uh, a huge challenge trying to ride a bike with that big front wheel. Um, the 19 inch front wheel, I, I honestly don't own one. Uh, I, I am so accustomed to the way a 21 inch front wheel feels off road and I've just learned to deal with it. But I do know that there are short riders that are, you know, five feet tall, five foot two. So you're going to need that smaller front wheel. Um, as far as gear is concerned, there are some boots out there that you can get that have heel lifts built into them that give you uh, a, another inch or two. And they kind of look like, sometimes they look like Frankenstein boots. You know, the sole is really, really thick. And if you get a boot that has a heel lift in it to give you that height, then just know you're going to have to adjust your uh, shift lever so that you can get the boot underneath the shifter and you may also have to adjust your brake lever. Um, now, what about um, what about lowering kits? Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of people that use lowering kits in a motorcycle that has linkage-style suspension, which means that the rear shock uh, goes below the swing arm and that there's a little dog bone or a linkage in there. They'll use linkage suspension. The, the issue with with messing with suspension is that now you're getting into the geometry of the bike. So whatever lowering you do on the rear needs to be matched on the front. Um, and truthfully, I have two motorcycles that have been lowered an inch. And uh, that's about as much as I'm comfortable lowering. I know people that have lowered motorcycles four inches. And it's mind-boggling when I look at these bikes. And I, it, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not an engineer, but everything that I've read online is, is telling me that that's a bit much. Um, 
But again, work with a, uh, a qualified suspension specialist. Um, but yeah, and, and my bikes do not have linkage suspension. They have the direct connect suspension. So I've had to get shocks that have uh, different springs in them, or you have to limit the extension of the internals on the shock. So it does not um, uh, expand the entire way. But the downside there is that whatever you're lowering it, you're losing in suspension travel. Yeah, you lose in suspension travel, but you can make up for it by riding smart lines. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is really interesting is that uh, modern day motorcycles have so much suspension that it's amazing to me how many people I see that are riding really bad lines just because the motorcycle is capable of handling it. I mean, they'll ride rough stuff and and um, there'll be a smooth line six inches to the left or six inches to the right, and they're just hammering right up in the middle with the bike going all over the place just because the suspension can handle it. Um, and I used to ride a factory-lowered BMW F800GS, and, uh, you know, people told me, oh, you know, you're not going to be able to ride uh, real technical stuff. And I never encountered anything that I couldn't handle on that bike that other people were riding that I was with. Uh and it was a matter of riding better lines and also using, you know, proper technique of lifting the wheel up over obstacles and waiting and unwaiting. And, um, you know, I, I just think that suspension hides a lot of slopping riding techniques. Mm. Yeah. They, they make everybody look like better riders nowadays. I mean, you know, <laughs> if, if we were to go, a lot of us, if we were to go back and get a bike out of the seventies and try and ride it, it would probably just right. buck us off like a wild horse. Well, I'm fond of saying that, you know, if you if you consistently choose bad bad lines, sooner or later it's going to bite you. If you consistently choose good lines, you're going to wind up uh, at the end of the day with uh, a lot less scrapes and a lot more energy because bad lines beat you up and, and they beat the bike up, you know. Yeah, which isn't so bad when you're younger. I mean, as far as getting beat up, but it seems like the older you get, the more that uh, that stuff hurts. Yeah, and it's been a long time since I was young, so I'm just going to keep choosing big, good lines, right? <laughs> well, what about, what about other uh, uh, short rider tips? Well, you know, it's really imperative that short riders have phenomenal throttle, clutch, and brake control uh, for a couple reasons. You know, if... The, Modern adventure bikes idling with the clutch out go about 10 miles per hour. And that's pretty fast when you're getting into a technical situation. So you really need to learn how to finesse the clutch and the brakes so that you can go slower than 10 miles per hour. And you need to be able to balance it. I mean, the, the short issue doesn't come into play unless you have to put your foot down. So the better you are at controlling the bike at slow speeds and having good balance, the less you have to worry about putting your foot down. Um, the other place it comes into play is there is a style of, of getting on the bike. Uh, some people call it cowboy starts or running starts where you, uh, you put the bike in gear, you put your left foot on the, the foot peg, and as you ease the clutch out and take off on the bike, you swing your leg up over and you get on the bike uh, as it's moving, which is pretty easy to do. The challenge comes when you come to a stop, when you're swinging that right leg over, you're no longer covering that rear brake. So you have to be very, very, um, delicate and, and have good front brake control to come to a stop as you're swinging your leg off. Because, you know, that, 
creates balance issues. The rider is moving, the motorcycle's moving, um, and you're having to brake. So um, fantastic throttle, brake, and clutch control is the, the better you are at that, the easier it's going to be as a short rider because you don't have to put your feet down. That would be the same for a tall rider, though, as well. You would teach a tall rider and tell them the same thing. They would need those same skills. I do teach a tall rider the same skills. Um, but I think that a tall rider can screw that up and recover by getting their feet down, whereas a short rider that makes a mistake falls over. Mm. So that's why it's so so important for a short rider to really – focus on those skills. I do a drill called uh, rocket crawl it, walk it. And rocket is, there's no gas involved here. This is all just clutch. And you let the clutch out to the engagement point and then you pull the clutch back in gently. I don't, I don't want to see anyone yank the clutch back in. I literally want to see you caressing the cr clutch so that you just hit the engagement point and then pull it in and the, the bike will rock. And, and again, I do not want to see the clutch pulled all the way into the handlebar. I just want you to disengage it out of the friction zone just enough so that the bike quits moving. Once you master that rock, then the walk part is to hit the friction zone for about five inches and then pull it back in so that you're just kind of crawling along there five inches at a time. And, it, and again, it's all subtle. You're not yanking on the clutch lever, you're caressing it gently. And once you master that, then I want you to walk it, which means letting the bike move for about five to six feet before you disengage and pull the clutch in slightly and come to a stop. Um, and those skills, that level of control with the clutch is super important. And I, I teach that to everyone. But again, it's way more important for short riders because, uh, when you, if you don't have to stop, you don't have to put your feet down. <laughs> mm. well, well, that's and that's why I asked that question, because I'm, I'm thinking that these are skills that everybody should be learning anyway. But I guess as yeah. a short rider, you need to make sure that you you really mask them because you don't have, like you said, that backup where you can flop the long leg down to uh, right. push the bike back up, do the, do the dab, I guess. Yeah, totally. And, you know, as long as we're talking about it, the same skills, but it's more important, um, I just want to be clear that seat height has more of an effect on a woman typically than on a man. And let me explain that statement. So let's say we have a male rider who has a 29-inch inseam and a female rider who has a 29-inch inseam. Men have 40% more upper body muscle mass than women have. Okay, so a pound of male muscle, a pound of female muscle generates the same amount of power, but men have 40% more on average muscle in their upper body than women do. So a, a man with a 29-inch inseam can have his leg right next to the bike straight up and down, and he's got enough upper body mass to be able to balance that 600-pound adventure bike. Woman has 40% less upper body mass. She needs to use her legs to balance the bike, which means she has to step her foot away from the motorcycle at a bit of an angle so she can get some leverage. And as soon as you move your foot away from the motorcycle at an angle, you've just made your seat, dropped your seat height. Do you follow what I'm saying? It dropped your physical, sort of raised your bike seat right. height almost. Yeah. Right, right. So, so 
women are more sensitive to seat height than men are. It's not the same. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's tough for short riders, period, but it's especially tough for women riders. Mm, yeah. I was going to say it does. Some of that does correspond to a shorter rider as well. Just that whole thing of putting your leg out, because as you are, as your legs become shorter, you can't actually reach them out wider. Right. Right. And again, that's why you got to get the butt over to the side. But what I'm saying is, so think about you're building a wall with two by fours and you want to brace that wall. You're not going to put your brace up perpendicular to the wall. You're going to put your brace up at a 45 degree angle. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you put that brace up at 45 degree angle, that's a longer length. You have to use a longer board. Well, we can't magically extend our feet and our legs and make them longer. So what that means for a woman is that it, it drops her seat level down so that um, she, she's more sensitive to that, the height of the seat mm-hmm. than a guy is. Do you think a shorter rider has to be a better rider than a taller rider? Do you, I mean, do you th- I guess my question is, do you think it's easier for a taller rider than it is for a shorter rider? Yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. unquestionably. I think shorter riders uh, are... Uh, it requires a lot more skill to ride a motorcycle well when you're short. See, this is what I think too. And, and also the thing is, I know for me, when I get on a, a little bike, like if I if I get over like a Honda Shadow or something like that, to me, it seems like, oh man, this is so easy compared right. to a taller bike, like a, you know, a DR400 or something like that, or, or even the F800. Right. You know, it's not just physically harder, you know, but you also have to do a lot more planning. Yeah, I, I have a friend who's five foot two and she rides a, KTM three, uh, 300 two stroke. And I think that's got about a 37 inch seat height and it is not lowered. And it is so impressive watching her ride. Uh, but she's constantly, you know, when, when we don't have to think so much about where we come to a stop, um, she's always having to think ahead. Okay. Where can I find a rock or something, uh, to put my foot on, or is there a rut that I can put the bike in that's going to lower the bike for me? Um, so you have to pay attention to a lot more things when you're a short rider than, than you, you just take a lot for granted when you've got those long legs. Mm. Even if you have to stop in a certain situation, you lose traction or something climbing a hill, it makes a difference as well. Oh, totally. And, you know, I was riding with some guys a couple of weeks ago out at Rabbit Valley and we got to some technical stuff and they were both able just to put their feet out and kind of push and paddle and finesse and, 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 you know, they were able, they rode the bikes, they were astride the bikes, but they were doing a lot of dog paddling. And I had to sit back and find a line where I could just clean the whole thing because there was no way I was going to get a foot down so that I could dog paddle. Right. So, you know, the net result for me was I cleared the obstacle, but didn't make the turn and fell over. <laughs> 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 but at least I cleared the obstacle. <laughs> what, what about, as far as getting on and getting off, have, have you ever taught offside mounting? Uh, do you mean mounting on the right-hand side versus the left? Yeah, on the right-hand side of the bike. I actually t- like for people to be able to mount on both sides because there's going to come a time when you can't get to the left because there's a drop-off. Mm, um, it, it feels really um, awkward and it's kind of like if you're into horseback riding, you learn to mount on the left and the right and just muscle memory. Everything f- feels weird. But yes, I do like for people to have all riders to have the skill to mount on both sides of the bike. 
Well, the technique with the with the right hand side or offside mount um, is is getting on with the kickstand down. And, and it makes sense because, I mean, if you have short legs and you're doing the hip shift to get over, to push the bike up so you can lift the stand off, it can be quite a push and quite a ways up. But if you're on the other side, you, you're pulling it up and then pulling the kickstand up. Well, you know, I teach a different method. I, I don't, I think it's harder to, when the bike is on the, leaning to the left on the kickstand, then the right-hand side of the bike is higher. So I don't think it, the issue that you're describing is not the issue of getting on the bike. The issue you're describing is getting the bike off the side stand. So, um, and it's, it's way easier to get on the bike when it's leaning towards you and is low. So what I teach is that when you, you know, normally when we swing a leg over the bike, we're standing there with our legs fairly much, um, perpendicular to the bike. What I teach on a on a bike to get it up off the side stand is, uh, one of two things. Either I put the bike in gear and put the side stand up and I mount without a side stand where I'm balancing the bike. And, and, you know, I, I will only do that if I have good footing. Um, but if the side stand is down and then I take my left foot and I plant it about two or three feet away from the motorcycle And then I have my right foot on the foot peg and I swing my weight from the left hard to the right while I'm pushing and driving with that left foot to the right, not up and over, but across to the right. And that gets the bike up off the side stand. And when you do that, at what point can you pick the kickstand up? That part is always... uh, once the bike is balanced, then it's a matter of shifting your weight over to the right and getting your right cheek off of the bike and then uh, leaning the bike to the right a little bit and kicking the kickstand up. Mm, I see. So would you say that like, like the real key thing I'm getting from what you're saying is it's all in that hip shift? It is. I mean, and, and maybe it's just because I'm a woman. That's my sort. That's my center of power. Um, my legs and my hips are super, super strong. So I use those to my advantage. It might be different for a guy who's got the upper body strength just to push the bike over. I don't. So, you know, that's why I'm trying to drive from my legs as much as possible. And I'll own it, Jim. I teach all riders to ride with their legs and feet. The last thing I want to do is use my arms. I mean, and, and it works well for guys too, because, you know, the, the, the muscles in the legs are way bigger than they are in the arms. So if you don't waste the energy in your arms, then you finish with a lot more gas in the tank at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is what I'm thinking of, I mean, if you're riding slowly, because that's the time when we're, we're at the biggest disadvantage if you're a short rider. So if you're riding slowly and you have to do a dab, let's just say, for instance, I know theoretically we don't want a dab, but let's just say we have to do a dab. Um, that's where you quickly push your foot down to the ground and push the bike back up, basically allowing yourself a, a fraction of a second longer to recover from whatever it is you're doing wrong. Um, that's a hip shift for, for a short person. I don't teach dabs for short people because they don't work. And that's actually, yeah, um, that's actually, so, so let me, let me describe the Jake's turn to you. Um, let's talk about when we're turning, we've all been taught to put the inside foot down, 
And then like if we're making a left-hand turn, we've all been taught to put that left foot down and then pivot around that left foot, which is fine if you're tall. You're talking dirt bike style here. Yeah, I'm talking dirt bike style. I'm also talking on adventure bikes. When you get on your F800 and, and you're at a stop in a parking lot and you're turning to the left, you are going to likely put your left foot down and then make a turn around that left foot. Is that correct? Um, I'm, I'm not sure what you're describing here. Are you, are you talking about like if you stopped a stoplight or are you talking about, I, I don't know why I would keep my foot down if I'm making a turn? You're, you're in a parking lot and you're getting ready to make a left-hand turn. So, and, and you're making a U-turn, okay? You would have your left foot down and then you would accelerate and start turning to the left. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. And at some point you'd pick your foot up. Um, well, I'd pick my foot up before I pull away, but yeah. Right, because you're tall enough to do that. So when you're short, if you put that left foot down, all your weight is to the left. And when you try to get over to the right, because our legs are short and we can't drive off the leg as well, we tend to push on the handlebars, which pushes the bike down into the ground. Follow me? Because we're going left to right. Okay. Yeah. See what see what's happening here? The 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 physics behind it. So um, Okay, I just want to interrupt here that, just for one second to clear things up here. You'll notice that when I said when I pull away from a corner, I would lift up my foot before I go. And Pat says, Well, that's because you're tall enough. The point here is, unless you're short, you don't get the problem of being very short. And obviously there's problems right from being short on up to tall. But it's all in varying degrees. If you're really short, you'll have trouble getting the bike to the upright balance position just to pull away. That's what she's talking about. Not somebody who has the ability to push the bike up to the balance position and go. But when you're short enough, that when you have to do the hip shift, get down there, put your foot on the ground, lead the bike over, then the bike is in a position that you have difficulty riding it. You have difficulty getting it to that balance point. Now listen to what she says. So... um. Because of that, I mean, I used to fall down at gas stations all the time, and it would—it was really embarrassing, and it would tick me off. That and and I was always trying to turn just like I did on a dirt bike, which was put my inside foot down and pivot around that inside foot. So finally, I thought, well, this isn't working. Let's try something different. And on adventure bikes, we're supposed to do our slow turns from a counterbalanced position. So if we're turning to the left, that means our weight is supposed to be on the right. Mm-hmm. So I got this bright idea to start with my right foot down and to start from a counterbalanced position. So I, it felt really, really strange and awkward, and it took months for me to develop the muscle memory for this to become a natural feel for me. But once I developed that skill, I have not fallen down at a gas station since. And when I began teaching this method, My coaches that I work with um, started calling it the Jake's turn because that's my last name is Jake's. They call it the Jake's turn. So the way I teach slow turns from a stop is it's four steps. And I ask my riders to verbalize these steps. And step one is inside foot up on the foot peg. Step two is inside butt cheek to the outside of the seat. So that means, yes, the left butt cheek is all the way over on the right side of the seat. 
Step three is outside foot forward and pointing into the turn. That means I take that right foot and put it slightly forward of the foot peg and I point it to the left. Step four is to turn the handlebars to the left. Now, if you follow all these steps, what's going, if you look at your body, your toes, your knees, your hips, your shoulders, and your head are all pointed to the left, and your weight is going to be over the right foot peg, which is a counterbalance position. Mm -hmm. Except you have one foot on the ground still. Except you have one foot on the ground. And then all you do is you can, as you're learning, you can dog paddle your way around and walk your way around. It, and, and I promise you, Jim, it will feel so flippant awkward. You'll say, Pat, you're nuts. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you were thinking with this. But if, as you pick up a little bit of speed so you can balance, you pick your right foot up, put it on the foot peg, and guess what? You're in a seated counterbalanced turn. And if you stand up, you're in a standing counterbalanced turn without that shift from the inside to the outside. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Now that's a first. I've not heard this before. That's interesting. And it makes a lot of sense, at least in theory right now. I have to try it. it. It's totally the opposite of what everyone else teaches. It's sort of my signature trademark move. And everyone that I have taught this, if they'll stick with it long enough to develop the skill, they don't fall down at slow. T- I, I've had students that couldn't execute U-turns or steering lock turns until I taught them this technique. Hmm. And I just decided, okay, we need to be counterbalanced. Let's just start from a counterbalanced position. Now, let me, let me tell you, there's some key points to this. Inside foot up is is pretty obvious. Um, A lot of people, when they move their left butt cheek to the right, they also push it back. We need to stay forward in the pocket of the seat, which is the lowest part of the seat. Because what I see a lot is as people are shifting over, they also shift back. And now all of a sudden you've made the motorcycle taller because most seats slant upward and get taller in the back. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's key is to stay forward in the pocket of the seat. The other thing that's key is that when you, that outside foot, when I say put it forward and turn it inside the turn, the reason we put it forward is because as you start to take off, if your foot is not forward as the motorcycle advances forward, if you do not move your foot forward, your hips are going to open up to the right. You follow me? Yeah. As you pull away, because your foot is still there on the ground. Right, right. And the bike is moving to the left and your foot is still there. You're trying to turn left, but now your hips are pointed either forward or to the right, which means your shoulders and and it affects everything. So, you know, I teach all my riders to face into the turn. I want to always have the toes, the knees, the hips, the shoulders, the head facing into the turn. That's what I'm shooting for. If we do that, turning becomes quite easy. Mm. Jim, you can practice this in your chair. If you're just sitting in a chair at, at, in your office, um, do those steps that I described. And, uh, and you'll see what I mean about the shift, and you'll see how you wind up facing into the turn. 
Okay, so I, I just want to so clarify there. As you start to pull away, as you're as you're letting the clutch out a little bit and starting to pull the bike forward, you're going to have to sort of hop on the right foot. Yes, which okay. feels really strange uh, because the foot is on the outside circumference of the circle. It has to move faster. But, I mean, you can walk around. But when I teach this, I teach that throttle and clutch control first, Right. right? So if you want to do slow turns, the first thing you have to do is learn how to ride slow. Then you learn how to do the turns. Right. And that's, that's tall or short. It's all the same. Right. Exactly. So, so this is where that finessing the clutch and being in that friction zone and not yanking your fingers in and out, just sort of gently moving your fingers so that the bike barely moves. And that way you can, with control, you can walk around in a circle if you have good clutch control. And, and it's a steering lock turn. And the thing about it is, is the motorcycle is more upright than it would be if your inside foot is down. So, you know, it, it, it takes practice. It feels weird. I even teach my tall riders how to do this. And the reason I teach them that is because it's just another tool in your toolbox. There will come a time, for example, I was riding in the desert in sand really, really deep sand. And I'm, uh, I was off track and I was trying to get the bike back on the trail to the left. When I put my inside foot down with the drag from the sand, it was just trying to push me down into the ground. As soon as I got into the Jake's turn position where I had my outside foot down, then I could leverage my body weight and I was able to ride right out of it, uh, right out of that sand and get back on track. So even for tall riders, it's a great skill to have to be able to turn with either your inside foot down or your outside foot down. And I promise you it'll feel weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, so part of this is you, you're going to hop in particular with a short rider. You're going to hop when you start away, when you start to pull away, and then you're waiting to balance the bike to lift that foot up. Yeah. So you just get some momentum, get some gyroscopic right. effect here. Well, the more confident you get, you know, it, it, I don't, I can balance the bike at, you know, two, three miles per hour. Um, and, and I practice that all the time, riding super, super slow. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you cannot balance the bike until you're going 10 miles an hour, then most people, what they wind up doing is, um, they'll get in that Jake's turn position. They'll ride straight for a few feet to get momentum and balance. And then they begin to turn. And that to me is a crutch. That's a handicap. Um, mm. I believe you should be able to do a steering lock turn from a standstill and, and go right into a seated balance or a standing balance position. If you have the proper skills. Pat, great information. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Jim. And I enjoyed chatting with you again. And let's go ride one of these days. It sounds great to me. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Jim. You know, I always enjoy talking with Pat. I mean, I really enjoy it. And anytime we get together, we end up chatting for a lot longer than what the interviews, uh, the interview time is actually scheduled for. And this time was no different. We went on talking more, but she said something at the end of us talking that I thought that you would like to hear. So I asked her for her permission to, to put it into this interview after the interview. And she said, yes, by all means, go ahead. 
So have a listen to this. What we were talking about here was, um, I was I was just telling her that my method of getting out for, for riding and practicing skills, etc. And one of the biggest things I find is that you have to own it. You have to say, okay, that that's my right. mistake. I did that. What did I do wrong? It's not the bike. Yeah. It's not the ground. It's not the, it's me, you know, what I did wrong because well, the bike can do it. First of all, I love that you're doing that. Second of all, what I coach my riders to do is anytime you go on a ride, spend five or 10 minutes playing around in, in the parking lot. Um, you know, and there's always that one guy that's slow to get, to get going. Mm -hmm. So instead of sitting there on your ass, waiting for them to get going, go do some skills practice every time you ride and, and, you know, five and 10 minutes, every time you ride really, really, uh, adds up. The other thing I use with my private coaching clients is a sheet of, um, a, a, a journal sheet that was developed, uh, by Kathy and Gary Hawk at get clarity. And this is a, a technique that some of the NBA basketball coaches use, and it's a type of journaling. And the first question is what's different. And the, you want to ask what's different just to, to get the train, the brain to be man, mindful. What's different today? You know, and because we tend to get into habituated behaviors and habituated um, thinking, right? So the first question is what's different? And it could be as simple as just noticing that, hey, you know, it's freezing ass cold today as opposed to it's it was sunny yesterday or whatever. We just want to start paying attention. We want to train that. The second question is what worked? You write down and, and let's say we're working on slow turns. What worked? Let's say we're working on sand. What worked? Let's say we're working on fixing a flat. What worked? Write it down. Once you've written down what worked, celebrate it. Pat yourself on the back. Great, because that means you learned something. Then the next one that you write is what didn't work when you were trying to do that slow turn, when you were in the sand, when you were trying to fix the flat. And guess what? We celebrate that too, because we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. Mm -hmm. The next three sets of questions is, what's the state of your body, mind, and spirit? Body, oh my God, I didn't sleep last night. I'm exhausted. No wonder I can't manhandle this bike, you know? Mind, oh shit, I'm thinking about work. I'm not really focused, and, and I'm, I've got all this negative self-speak happening in my head. Spirit, I'm feeling kind of down today versus I'm feeling really excited and joyful today. All that has an effect. The next question is, what am I grateful for? Because anytime when we when we write, um, you know, what worked, what didn't work, we as humans have a tendency to focus on the negative. So when we say, what am I grateful for? Well, I'm grateful that even though I fell over, I didn't break the bike, or even though I fell over, somebody was here to help me pick it up, or whatever, because it shifts us back into that positive energy and that positive mindset set. And then the last question is. Um, what is my intention for today? And the reason I, I use this is, you know, we talk about riding our own ride, but we don't teach people what that means. Riding a motorcycle is very mindful. You must be mindful. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to where I said, well, what was your intention? I don't know. <laughs> what happened? You know, mm -hmm. almost because I've had so many injuries, oftentimes my intention statement is simple. The only thing I have to prove today is that I don't have anything to prove. Or the only thing I have to prove today is that I can stay healthy. Or my intention today is to, um, to, to ride that one log, right? 
but I'm trying to teach mindful motorcycling. And now I'll let you in on a little secret. I may be a motorcycle. I'm not really a motorcycle coach. I'm a life coach because all these skills and all these techniques that I just mentioned transfer into life skills and paying attention in life instead of just sleepwalking through life, which is what 90% of the people on the planet are doing right now, you know? So I'm a life coach. It just happens to be that the motorcycle is my vehicle for, for empowerment. <laughs> was Pat Jakes from ADV Woman. You can find out more about Pat and ADV Woman at our website, advwoman.com. Now, in the show notes, we have some links on the things that we've mentioned in this these two interviews, as well as some photos. So drop by our website and check out the show notes for this episode. I just want to remind you that this episode was brought to you in part today by Max BMW Motorcycles at maxbmw.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at GreenChiliADV.com and Best Rest Products at CyclePump.com. Make sure anytime you're talking with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much for being a part of it by listening. And thank you to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, who you never hear from, but I guarantee you she is there. And listen, hey, it is the holiday season. I don't want to bug you too much about this, but only a small group of people help support the show. And we could use your support. We really could. So, you know, the time of giving, maybe think about Adventure Rider Radio and um, support what you like, support what you want to listen to, support what you're what you're enjoying each week. So anyway, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, click on the support button. But otherwise, we have another show called ARR Raw, comes out monthly, and it's available everywhere podcasts are found. It's also at our website, but remember, you have to subscribe separately to that. So go to our website, have a look around. You'll find Raw there, you'll find Adventure Rider Radio there, all the episodes, all the show notes with a bunch of information, links, and pictures and all types of things in there and have a look around drop us a note on every episode there's places where you can enter um, your comments at the bottom of it we'd love to have your comments on the website anyway my name is jim martin thank you very much for listening now it's time to get out and ride your bike if you can of course i know if you're stuck in the snow you're not gonna be able to do that but go give it a hug anyway thanks very much talk to you next week Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. <laughs> <laughs>